Welcome to the No Country for Old Buildings podcast. My name is Robert Dokes. I'm a studio associate here with Bev Cam. This is probably the first and hopefully it will be many podcasts featuring Matt Pujo. Matt Pujo is a producer here at Bev Cam. He has been doing the No Country for Old Buildings show for about three years, um, focusing on historical restoration, historical preservation here in the town of Beverly. Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in Beverly. I was born in Lynn, but my folks moved to Beverly back in 1970, and uh, I've been here all my life, and then uh, went to college in Boston. That's where I really fell in love with history and preservation. I actually really didn't quite understand why history was important when they were teaching it to us, because it seemed it was just a bunch of dates and names, and it seemed very irrelevant to someone who was just a teenager. But it was when I went into Boston and really learned about history and how the people in the past were really like the people of the present, only they were just born at a different time. They were just like us, though. The the old people that you see as World War II veterans, they were once young, too, with many of the same concerns that we had. Mm -hmm. And so what got you interested in local history uh, here in Beverly? What were some of the things that got you interested in some of the uh, buildings, historical areas here in town? Well, as I said, in Boston, I learned to appreciate some of the history. One of the things that I fell in love with was the transportation system of Boston, streetcars, buses, to a lesser degree, trains. And from there, I wanted to learn more. Well, down at the Historical Society in Beverly, they happened to have a transportation archive called the Walker Transportation Collection. And I got into volunteering there, and it was just incredible all the history that we sort of had around us. I think I've always been sensitive about historic buildings because of the architecture. You you see things in historic buildings you just mm-hmm. don't see with modern buildings. I can remember for my uh, high school graduation, we had a party at the Beverly Depot, and I remember just walking around the Beverly Depot area looking at some of these buildings. I didn't know anything about their history, but I knew there was a story behind those buildings. I wanted to know more. And it was through the Walker Transportation Collection that I really delved into a lot of the history of Beverly. We had the uh, curator there at the time, Richard Sims. He's uh, quite the encyclopedia about Beverly history. He even wrote a book on North Beverly's history. It was just uh, an incredible experience. I spent, uh, uh, I think, about nine years of my life volunteering there. Sometimes it felt like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And that's what got you interested in historical preservation as well in terms of some of the, you know, outside of not knowing the history of these buildings, but also preserving that history as well. Pretty much. I think the real impetus to start was when, in 2007, the MBTA decided well, we're going to try this new garage plan and knock down this block of buildings next to the train station. Mm -hmm. Richard Sims said, well, those were old railroad hotels. And I looked more and more into the history of those buildings, and I thought to myself, what we have here is a historic district in the making. Somebody needs to talk about this and Mm -hmm. defend the history of these buildings. And that's really what got things started and then through there, you, you, you just, I had this awareness of all this architecture that was being destroyed left and right, torn down for parking lots or new development, and it, it really raised alarm bells with me. I think that's how, how it all got started. Oh, it got started. And this is what, is this what led you to kind of create the No Country for Old Buildings program? Pretty much. Uh, Richard suggested getting involved in BevCan. Now, he had uh, been a co-host with Ed Josephs for a show called Beverly Times Past, which still airs on BevCan. He says, you know, Matt, you're kind of a creative guy. I went to Emerson College to pursue a career in film. I've always kind of liked storytelling. Richard says, maybe you ought to go to BevCan and see what you can do to get that message out. You'd probably find a good home there. Now, at the time, the talk was, we're going to tear down 45 Broadway for a parking lot. The owner of that building lost the government subsidy, so he didn't know what to do with the building. He figured, let's tear it down, build a parking lot for my dental office. That was uh, Dr. Kowalski. So initially, when I had planned to do something for BevCam, I was thinking about 45 Broadway. And then as I was looking into producing something, 
out comes this building swap that Windover had initiated, trading one building for another. So that shifted the focus back to the railroad hotels. I thought those buildings had been saved and preserved after the MBTA pulled out of their garage deal. In that time, uh, as preservationists, we contacted a few people and we, we found this veterans group that was interested in preserving what, what people here now know as the press box, but was once the hotel draft. And uh, we had actually found a group to preserve that building. But unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, the deal kind of fell through and there was another veterans group that sort of moved in. So that's how Windover was able to do this building swap. This other veterans group really didn't have the wherewithal to restore this building. So they were kind of sitting on it, trying to raise money in their own way, but not really knowing exactly how to fix this building. So my interest in 45 Broadway and saving that all of a sudden now shifted back to the railroad hotel across from the train station. So tell us a little bit of the history of the Trafton slash press box. Um, You mentioned a little bit about some of the history leading up until the swap. But what's the history behind the hotel uh, itself? You know, what kind of place was it? Who were the people that traveled there? Uh, what were the times like here in Beverly? Uh, you know, what, what's the history behind it? Well, it all goes back to the railroad. <clears throat> Beverly that you see today owes everything to the railroad because before the railroad came in, Beverly was really an agricultural and fishing community, very quaint. And it was the railroads that brought industrialization and you wouldn't have buildings like the United Shoe if it wasn't for the railroads. Uh, railroads really got established here in the 1840s, the Eastern Railroad, and then uh, the Boston and Maine later on. So the area was home to a wooden train depot, and then that's when you saw these railroad hotels being built up around it. They figured, well, people taking the train to visit the city for a day or a week, they need some place to stay that's nearby and convenient. So that's how these railroad hotels were born. Um, You also had um, the Cushing Carriage Factory located nearby. So uh, a lot of transportation history in this area. The Trafton itself started life as a house and a provision store owned by a Mr. Davenport. Then I guess Mr. Trafton came down and bought that property and for a time had a restaurant. Eventually, in 1886, he demolished the store and sort of built this grand uh, hotel and sort of attached it to the house. When you look at the press box now, you see the huge section that faces the tracks and this smaller section in the back. That smaller section was the original house from 1859. The newer 1886 portion is that bigger part of the building that you see. But then eventually the era of the railroad hotel sort of uh, receded from history and it became the Bond Hotel, falling into more of a low-rent kind of hotel. Um, It also became the 1886 house. Many people know it as the 1886 house. Then in 1975, uh, Bayless Baum got a hold of the property, bought it from the previous owners, and that's where you see the press box era start. And you see some of the lack of maintenance and the bar room causing a lot of problems with the community, disturbances here and there. And unfortunately, a lot of people really lost uh, an appreciation for how historic this building was. It's not the building's fault, it was the owner. So people in Beverly looking at that building for the longest time just knew it as, oh, a dingy old flop house. But there was all this history behind it for such a long time. So we have this building swap. So the 45 Broadway gets traded, and now Wendover has possession of the railroad hotels. And their plan was to initially tear down the buildings, correct? Correct. And so this switched you in terms of your creative process. When you started the program, you wanted to try to, you were originally going to tell the story about 45 Broadway. Now you're telling the story about the Trafton. And how did you go about this process? You know, what did you, you know, what was your plan now? How did you want to tell this story? So basically, I wanted to get out of the studio and show people the history of these buildings, put in a lot of archival pictures, because I think with some of the productions at BevCam, it's just sort of a static production when you sit and talk. I wanted to really get out of the studio and show people why I'm passionate about this historic landscape and see if it rubs off a little bit of advocacy. 
Uh, that first episode, I went with Richard to the Beverly Depot area, and we talked a lot about the history of these buildings, uh, in addition to doing some studio work to tie it all in together. And I think it really enlightened people. I had a lot of comments saying I had no idea that this was ever a railroad hotel. I didn't even know what a railroad hotel was. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I urged people, if you care about this and this history, if you think tearing these buildings down is sort of the wrong course for Beverly, given that we have master plans that say, you know, we should be keeping some of this New England character. We should be preserving historic buildings and districts, then show up to the demolition delay hearing. Mm-hmm. And I think the message really hit home with a lot of people. That was a very crowded demolition delay hearing. Now, you think about it, well, people knew it as just the press box. I was thinking, what if we only get five people to show up because no one cares? Or what if we get a room full of people saying, no, this is just the press box, tear it down? We didn't see that. At this demolition delay hearing, we had a lot of people talk with a sensitivity And sure, there were the usual people who are against any kind of development and any kind of change in Beverly. But the people you saw speaking really hit home that, you know what, we need to be more thoughtful here, that this place matters. And there's a lot of Beverly history tied up in these buildings. And to wipe them out is just a mistake. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the Trafton that you're talking about here. There's also what used to be the Castle DeLuca and what was known as the horse carriage. Yeah, the Cushing Carriage Factory was also the other building that was up for a demolition delay. And uh, they manufactured horse carriages, um, I think about like a decade before some of the other companies in Beverly set up shop here. But carriage making was a traditional craft in Beverly for a while. So right then and there with the railroad, hotels, and the carriage factory, you have two modes of transportation represented here. Um, the Casa de Luca building at the time was not yet purchased by Windover, so the demolition delay really didn't apply to that building. Okay. So you've shot the demolition delay, but you've also had, in terms of your episodes, we're going to kind of kind of do a little recap of your episodes. Uh, you went to the commission hearing. You had actually interviewed Lee Deliker. Uh, you did a Trafton tour. And you talk about the Beverly Historical District, and we'll go over e- each of those points. But let's, you, you talked a little bit about the commission hearing, and you did an episode on that, you know, and you, you, you explained how you felt in, in terms of the community outpouring. What was the response to that particular ep- episode? Well, there was a little bit of a gap in between the hearing and then when I produced the episode because I wanted to show people some of the things that were talked about. Uh, Peter Johnson mentioned the Portland Depot being torn down and what a loss that was. I wanted to go to Portland, Maine and actually show people exactly what he was talking about because I thought it would make a good impression. And when we went up there, what did we find? This ornate railroad administrative building made out of brick, but in the middle where there should have been this wonderful depot, just a strip mall and a parking lot And it was really, in my opinion, that was the eyesore. This functioning place with all these businesses really was on the low end of the spectrum as far as what could have been for development. Um, We also showed some examples of other buildings that had been preserved. Um, So the response was pretty good. But I think the impression was that people really didn't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. They said, this was a great hearing, but... We really don't know what to do. Um, During the hearing, Lee Deliker got up and basically said, Windover will wait the one year, so it doesn't matter. We are happy to just sit and wait. So it was like he was cutting off any chance of a thoughtful discussion on this. And I think people were surprised by that reaction. Unfortunately, with these local historic commissions, they really don't have as much power as you think. And Oftentimes, people will come looking to tear down a historic building. They'll go to these hearings and say, yeah, we've planned around the one-year demolition delay, so mm-hmm. doesn't matter anything that you say. Now, if you had another commission, say like parking and traffic in Beverly, and they recommended something for a development, 
you would never have the developers say, yeah, what your recommendations are doesn't matter. We're just ignoring you. But it seems like this is the board here that is made to be ignored by people. And, and that's a big problem. It, it shouldn't be that way. The Historic Commission exists for a public interest. It's been determined there's a public interest in having some of these historic buildings around. They add character to the city. They tell a story. They do all kinds of great things preserved that really wouldn't appear on a spreadsheet, but it just adds such quality of life to a city if they're preserved. And speaking of Lee Dillaker, now you actually had him in the studio and do an interview. Uh, talk a little bit about how that came about, what the experience was like, uh, because you did want to tell both sides of the story. You just didn't want to, you know, even though you have your particular point of view, you also wanted to share with the community his point of view and what he saw and, you know, and essentially defend himself on what he was doing. Right. Well, at the same time these buildings were undergoing a demolition delay, Windover was going to apply for historic tax credits for a building on Pleasant Street they renovated, the big uh, brick box factory building. In order to do that, they needed to create a historic district. To have a historic district, you need a certain amount of historic buildings to make up this district. So it was a little strange that they were looking to knock down these prominent, very historic buildings that made up a district, and they were also looking to create the district at the same time. So I figured, well, we got to go to the Massachusetts Historical Commission's meeting on this district and voice our concerns. So it was me, Peter Johnson, and Susie Lamont. We all packed in the car and drove down to Boston to sort of voice our concern that, wait a minute, something's a little off here. Um, other people wrote letters in and submitted comments. Um, it was a very strange hearing because there were other properties looking to be nominated to the National Register. And they were nominated by concerned citizens or historical societies looking to recognize the history of these historical resources. There was a house in Dorchester that was owned by a woman who was uh, around in the 30s, one of the very few female landlords at the time. The people who nominated that property, they, they just had preserving this and, and embracing the history in mind. The Beverly nomination seemed like it was a means to an end, that they were nominating this district to get tax credits with the knowledge that they were going to tear these buildings down. Now, during the hearing, Lee Delacour got up and spoke and said, we are looking very hard at all the historical assets that we own, and we are committed to this district, and we will preserve what can be preserved. We'll do what we can. So I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, maybe he's changed his mind on this. At any rate, the philosophy that I have on my show is if you have a problem with anything that I have to say, if you disagree with me, come on my show and talk. So I just walked up to him and said, would you like to come on my show? And he said, yes, I've actually been trying to get a hold of you. He guess called Wes Slate and Scott Hausman trying to set up a meeting, but unfortunately I had never heard from them. But we figured, all right, let's set up something where you can come on my show and we can talk. And I also said, I'm, I'm not going to give any shock questions or challenge you. Show me what your point of view is. Now, perhaps that was a little naive of me to say that, because there were some things that he said that I did question. So before he came on the show, we had a pre-interview meeting at Windover's headquarters. So we sat down and talked. And there were some things that he said there that, I liked, and there were some things that he said that I didn't really like. I wish it had been recorded because we could have had a whole discussion just centered around that. Um, so, again, I reiterated, come on my show, tell me your point of view and what you're dealing with. I'm very open to having people who disagree with me come on my show and talk to me. The only thing I ask for is that you respect me. Mm -hmm. And often when you debate people, there are the trolls out there who just say, tear the building down, mind your own business. They check their brains out at the door. They don't want to have an intellectual conversation about this, and they're there to really be mean-spirited. So that's how that all came about, though. So you have this interview with Lee Delacour, and after that, you also get to do a tour of the building, of the, of the traffic itself, 
and go and and tell us a little bit about what that experience was like because this is something you had been fighting for. I was a, happened to be there on the day of that shoot. A huge storm was rolling in. <laughs> yes, a huge storm was rolling in in terms of uh, what we were shooting, so we were kind of shooting against the clock. There was no power in the building. A lot of things were going on. Um, how did you feel about the tour? Uh, what did you see? How did you know? How did it make you feel? To you know, talk about this building. You know, you've talked about it on the outside. Now you're inside the building. Uh, you know, seeing some of the history, uh, seeing how the space is being kept up. Well, again, I think most people know this building as the infamous breast box. So I was really expecting the absolute worst. Although we had talked to the initial. Uh, veterans group who was going to fix this building up and the guy told me um, the other veterans group did a heck of a lot of work sprucing the place up initially it was someplace you'd, you'd be afraid to go into but he he said they did a really good job fixing it up making it look decent so I had these two things going on in my mind what would we find in there and when I went in there I was expecting floors falling apart you know walls caving in but it really was surprising i didn't think it was that bad at all there were actually curtains on some of the windows still we had some drop ceiling tiles that were removed or collapsed but did that mean the building was really falling apart um there were dead pigeons in there but again this is what happens when a building sits i wouldn't imagine there were dead pigeons in there when the veterans were living in there when the Mm. veterans were in there It was a pretty quiet neighborhood. All the troubles that the press box had sort of went away for a while. Um, I was kind of thrilled to be in this building walking around because we had a sense of the history and its connection. I looked out over the park and thought, this is what people saw in the 1800s when President Taft came for a visit uh, during the summer of 1912. I'm looking out these same windows. How weird is that? Uh, So there was a lot of history in this building for me, even though some things had been altered. I had asked Richard Sims, who was also along with the tour, I mean, what did the interior of this place really look like? Was it this simple? Was it this lacking in decoration? And we just didn't know. But I was thrilled to actually tour this. It It was a little surreal because, like you said, it was snowing out. The mood was kind of dark. You were using all the uh, lights on the camera for illumination. So it was a little dreamlike in a way. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to have gotten the chance to do this. And yes, I can see some of the challenges here. This is typically set up as a rooming house. So there are small rooms, a lot of walls. Some of the walls were put up in the last 30, 40 years maybe. So from a developer's point of view, it probably would be a little bit of a challenge to figure out a use for this building. But I didn't think it was anywhere near as bad as people had made it out to be. And that's some of the feedback that I got mm-hmm. from the audience. I think also what was interesting for me when we were doing that was that uh, you could kind of see the history in the house of, based on the renovation. So you could see where there was disrepair. The foundation really needed some work. <laughs> um, that, and that's just kind of putting it very lightly uh, because when you're in the basement, you're going to seeing here like, well, building code how did they get away with this yes <laughs> it was like you know th- there's certain things that you saw in the building that were not safe but at the same time when i was in there i saw that there was this there was this beauty that you know there's his history there's this beauty to this uh, architecture um that you don't see uh in, especially in today's uh in today's uh modern world in terms of in terms of the way we build things uh, the stairs were very nice. It was just it just felt like a labyrinth in a lot of ways, in a good way, not like you'd get lost. But it, each room that you went into felt like it had a story to tell. And there was, you know, who was there. I think Richard pointed out at some point in time there was something in the ceiling uh, on the top, top floor where the roof where I guess they used to store some railroad stuff. Yeah, he was saying that in a lot of these old buildings, they used to store things in, in the attic. And he was wondering what might possibly be found in the attic Um, it's based off of his experience Uh, he knew someone who lived in I think one of the old Topsfield depots and it was when it was being renovated by the current owner they found an old Topsfield train station sign in the floorboards I know from personal experience renovating my family's house uh, we pulled down a wall and found an old license plate 
from, uh, I think it was about 1917, a Massachusetts license plate. So you never know what artifacts might be lying around. Yeah, no, you never know. No, uh, uh, disclosure, I was, I grew up in New Jersey and we had, uh, we had an attic that we never went into. And then my mom went into it one day and she found all these letters between my grandparents, uh, my grandfather served as a chaplain in World War II, so she used to get these little things called V-mail, which are, uh, you know, in terms of this. And we had all this this entire history of their romance and their relationship and, the, it, you know, them writing back and forth to each other. Uh, and we had it there, and it had been sitting in our attic for years. And so you never know what you find in these places. And right. that's, you know, you, you don't know what kind of history uh, that you might have just sitting in your attic. But even in a place like that, you don't know. There could be something, you know. Right. And in in just that story you told, I mean, it certainly warms my heart and it certainly warms your heart when when you were talking about these letters. I think that's one of the benefits of historic buildings. It has this story to tell. And when you preserve these things, that story lives on. When you tear down a building and just have a bunch of pictures or a plaque, it's it's a very cold way of remembering the past. Uh, down the road in North Beverly, right near the fire station in North Beverly, was the site of the first cotton mill in America. I can't think of how many thousands and thousands of people drive by this site. There's a small plaque that points this out, and they don't even know this. So that that's the downside when you tear down something as opposed to the positives when you fix something up it touches people's hearts gets them thinking about the past and their place in the community and so kind of saying in terms of this this now you mentioned earlier that this is all part of the beverly historical district and so you know you have made the case many times that if you take these buildings away particularly the the trafton uh the christian carriage house and the building with the Castle DeLuca, which I also believe was a railroad hotel yep. as well, um, that really takes away from the historical district. Right. We've been saying for a long time, it's such a small historic district. If some of these buildings were to go away, you really couldn't call it a district. It would just be a couple of historic buildings lying around instead of this unified district. And we were basically backed up by that. The Massachusetts Historical Commission uh, sent out a letter to Windover saying, uh, if these buildings are torn down, this district will likely be delisted from the National Register. And had we known that you were going to tear these buildings down, we never, ever would have created this district in the first place. There's just not enough historical assets there. Mm -hmm. Also in this district, you have things like the fence at 45 Broadway or the retaining wall, the historic granite retaining wall. Now, those things are historic, but they don't hold a candle to actual historic buildings. Mm -hmm. So I think it was Bill Finch of the Beverly Historic Commission said, uh, this district is very small and people seem to be reaching for historic assets to put something in to create this district. We're stretching ourselves a bit thin here. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, if the press box slash Hotel Trafton is torn down, the Cushing Carriage Factory torn down, it's such a prominent hole in the district that you really can't call it a district anymore. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I would think that's something in Beverly people should be worried about and talking about. But right now, it seems like we're not even going to acknowledge that this new historic district for Beverly exists. And as a historian, that really rubs me the wrong way. It's almost like we have to pretend the history that's right there in this district doesn't exist because we want new development here. So let's talk about this a little bit because it's, you know, from the last episode that you did was episode five. Um, you've recently done some new episodes. Kind of fill in the gaps for us on what's where, where do we stand in the Trafton with the Beverly Historical District uh, what are we seeing, you know, at this point in time with that particular area? Well, we're not seeing much, unfortunately. Um, the buildings are continuing to sit. When Windover applied for the tax credits, like I said, they had to create this National Register District in order to get them. There's a recapture period of five years that they have to wait in order to get all their tax credits back. After that five years, if they want to tear these buildings down, they can do that without any financial consequences whatsoever. If they tore down those buildings 
before the five-year recapture period, the case could be made that the district would be delisted, no historic district, no tax credits. So that's kind of the dilemma we're in right now. At a recent meeting at the Beverly Depot that Wendover put on to talk about 131 Rantoul Street, someone asked, what's going on with these buildings over here that are just sitting? We were told by Chris Copeland uh, of Wendover, there are many, many options for that site. Again, what does that mean? Only they know. At a Ward 2 Civic Association meeting, Estelle Rand said, no, they have no plans to save those buildings. They're just going to tear them down after the recapture period. So that would be in 2019. So you get all these different stories. And here we are in Beverly talking about transparency, transparency. But, okay, how come we don't know what's going on? So... After episode five, I figured, you know what, let's show a situation where historic preservation of a dilapidated building actually does work, and it brings the community together. These are all the things that that I want to see happen for the Beverly Depot District. So I met someone uh, named Kathy Cotteridis. She has a group called uh, Historic Boston Incorporated, and they are a nonprofit developer that specifically fixes up historic buildings. Uh, I first heard about them because I did a little research on the Alva Kittredge House in Roxbury, which I knew was a dump. It was just falling apart in a mess. But in 2014, they finished renovations on this building, and it was absolutely beautiful. I said, you know what? I want to know more about how they do things. Because in Beverly, all we've heard are the same tired old arguments. If it's an eyesore or a dump, tear it down. But they offer a different view that, wait a minute, maybe these things can be fixed up. We just have to be creative and possibly do things a little differently. Um, So I reached out to her, and it took almost about a year to set up this interview because she's a very busy lady. Um, But we finally picked a day in October to do this interview, October of 2015, and uh, we sat down in front of the Alva Kittredge House. And it it was really great to get to know Roxbury as a city that we in the suburbs think is a slum, oh, there are gangs there, and houses are on fire, and it's a mess. Actually, that's not what I saw. The Roxbury that was there had beautifully restored historic buildings, beautiful parks. People seem to actually care about their neighborhood. And I think these historic buildings brought that out in them. It brings out a pride in their community, more so than I see new buildings do. So... We had a really great discussion, and one of the things that I walked away from that discussion uh, thinking was, these people aren't ashamed of their history, like we are kind of in Beverly. In Beverly, it's, don't talk about the railroad district. It's an eyesore. It's just going to be torn down. In Roxbury, it was, this is our history, and we're proud of it, and we make no apologies for what historic buildings can do. They also talked about preserving a farmhouse in Mattapan. I didn't know there was a farmhouse in Mattapan. I was very familiar with that area from college because they have an old trolley line that goes through Mattapan where they run trolley cars from 1945. Mm -hmm. And I had been familiar with Blue Hill Ave. Uh, Again, it's an area that people in the suburbs know, kind of fallen on hard times. But here's this farmhouse, and they are going to fix it up. At no point did they ever say, yeah, we're not going to do this. We're just going to let this farmhouse fall apart and tear it down for a new building. The mission has always been to save these buildings and to figure out a way to do it, to find creative partners who can do it, rather than, well, if the building can fit into the economics of the development, that determines whether it gets torn down or survives. They do things the opposite way. They sort of find a use, a creative use for the building that keeps it around that, because that's their number one goal is to keep these buildings around. So it was a very enlightening interview, and I did it primarily to show people, you know what? All of us in Beverly have been thinking, eyesore, eyesore. Well, these people show that there's another way to do things where eyesores can be fixed up. It doesn't mean you tear it down. And in the long run, it actually brings the community closer together and brings out that sense of pride in the community. Right now, I see a lot of divisiveness in Beverly. You look at the Brimble Ab project. Some people for it. Some people against it. 
what do you have though? You have this divided community. I hear a lot of bad things about Windover, their buildings. I hear a lot of good things about Windover and their buildings. But there's just such divisiveness here. I would think fixing up what we have in the Beverly Depot district could unify the community. No one wants those buildings to stay the same and to just sit there and continue to be a mess. But I take a more sensitive view that maybe we could have new development and save this historic district, restore those buildings, and make them a centerpiece for this wonderful gateway that is Beverly. No, I mean, those are good. Those are certainly good points. I mean, in, <clears throat> in this age of urbanism that we see, you know, uh, in especially in some communities where, uh, like Somerville or Medford, anywhere Metro West, you see this uh, you see this need for historic preservation, but there's also this need for development uh, to bring people in. And it's not that you do not that Beverly is any different. Um, it's just how they approach it may be slightly different than other communities, or they may have a similar view. It really depends on the situation. To talk a little bit more about um, something, you know, you, you you came away with some takeaways uh, from that interview. Is there, you know, outside of some of the things, is there, are there other things that you feel that you want to apply just, you know, that you learn that you feel that could make only strengthen your case to not only for, for historical preservation of the Trafton, but in Beverly in general, because there are other things that are happening here in the community. Well, Kathy Cotteridis had a lot to say. And at one point I told her, talk to the camera, tell us what you want to say to Beverly. And one of the things was, if you don't have a group like Historic Boston Incorporated, you should create one. And when you look at the downtown 2020 plan, there are all these provisions for creating things like that, for creating uh, revolving funds to fix up historic buildings, to create like these shares like a stockholder would have to invest in historic properties, to maybe have enough time to renovate these buildings. Um, For the audience, just to me to cut you off, the 2020 plan is a master plan that was uh, set forth by the city, uh, as well as Beverly Main Street, which is an organization that helps to uh, basically enrich the community uh, in a certain way, you know, enrich the community uh, by providing grants, uh, information funds for people to just uh, use storefronts, various things to try to help strengthen the community, community ties, some of the things that you talk about. Um, in the matters of commerce. Right. Um, I mean, we also have the Community Preservation Act here. That was something I was involved in helping out to get passed, along with a lot of other caring people in Beverly that wanted to see some of these historic buildings preserved. Um, I mean, there are all these tools that we're not using in Beverly that they are using in Roxbury. And I hope that's something that we can take away from that, that this conversation needs to happen. It probably needed to happen a long time ago. Um, this, uh, an audience member, John Hall, who's active in the Montserrat neighborhood group, he shares my concerns. He's wondering if we're outsourcing our vision for what this city should be. And that's a pretty bold statement from this guy. Um, but a lot of people talk about this. And unfortunately, their voices tend not to be heard. And, and that's a shame because I think everyone cares about Beverly. And the people who want to save the historic fabric of the Depot District and maybe not tear everything down, we care about Beverly very much and its history. And, and we know all the wonderful things that historic buildings can do for a community. We'd like to see that happen here in Beverly. Well, uh, I'd also be very remiss if I didn't bring up some of the stuff that also happened during the gap between that. Um, you won some awards. Yes. <laughs> won some awards for your program. Um, we're Bebcam is part of a national organization called the Alliance for Community Media. Uh, and there's a regional organization known as the Alliance for Community and Media Northeast Region, which covers all of New England and New York City. And a few years ago, Matt won first place in Community Impact. And he won again this year. It was third place, I believe. Yep. Third place, also in the Community Impact category. And that was for some previous episodes that you did. And for me, when to kind of talk about that, um, you put a lot of heart and soul into what you did for this. And uh, we as BevCam wanted to recognize that in some way, shape, or form because you did put a lot of work into this. 
And so we, I strongly encourage you to uh, submit. And you did win. And, you know, you got uh, two years ago it was in uh, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And you came up and you got an award. And you talked a little about the importance on this one. And this year it was in Hartford. But the struggle is still, you know, you're still putting up the good fight in terms of trying to make sure that this is, the community understands what's happening. And as a result of that, you've kind of, outside of doing what you've done for talking about the Trafton, you've also become kind of a local celebrity <laughs> in terms of, uh, or the guy, so to speak, when it comes to historical preservation, because you not just the Trafton that you've talked about recently, um, you've been approached by other groups as well to kind of... Right. <laughs> outside of Beverly to talk about some of the things that are happening uh, on the North Shore, or at least to cover some of the things that have happened on the North Shore recently, because there's a lot. It's not just what's happening in Beverly. It's what's happening in other communities as well. Right. Um, I've talked with some people who are very concerned with what's going on at the GAR Hall, and they run some things by me. You know, maybe we should talk about this. And, and I tell them, if you have an idea, come on the show. Let's talk about it. Um, also, I was involved with the Mackey Funeral Home Group. Not heavily involved with the advocacy of saving that building, but kind of lending support. Maybe saying, you know, we need to document some of this process because no matter what happens, we should never forget that we had this beautiful funeral home that was torn down for a parking lot. People need to know that story. And it's through BevCam and documenting these things that, that these stories don't get forgotten. Yeah, because, um, and you've brought it up before, and uh, you actually got footage of the Mackey Funeral Home being torn down. And it, it, it was kind of like a flashpoint issue similar to what happened uh, with the press box slash Trafton Hotel, where you had this community that felt very strongly about it. However, um, the local diocese did not feel as strong right. about it. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the preservation, uh, in, in they tore down the house, but you were able to capture footage. And to kind of talk about this, not just in terms of Beverly, but what we're noticing here and something we've talked about is this idea of what makes New England, New England. And, you know, some of the things, I, me being a person not from the area originally, what makes New England is a lot of its history. And a lot of the problems that you see is a lot of it's getting taken away um, based on, you know, it's not use anymore or it's just plain neglect or, you know, it's old, tear it down, we don't want to have it anymore. Right. Um, but what we're seeing is, at least for your program, is that people are paying attention uh, in some way, shape, or form to try to get, you know, saying, well, this is important. We need to pay attention to these things. But, you know, there's it's not just what's happened in Danvers. It's not just what's happening in Beverly. There's been instances in Salem. There's one in Peabody. I showed you an article recently for uh, that was uh, posted by Neighborhood View uh, through Malden Access. It's a little, little uh, citizen journalism group that they have going on there, uh, talking about the Rudimans in, in Malden. And it's, you know, how you feel about it or in terms of this, it's the idea that people have you have a, a much stronger connection to certain buildings right. than one might think. Um, it's something that Kathy Cotteridis touched on in her interview where she said, people don't need to be versed in history. They have a gut reaction. And I certainly did when I look back to when I was at the graduation party at the Beverly Depot, looking across the tracks and saying, what was that press box building before? There's a story there. That was a gut reaction. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I think that's what historic buildings do. Some people probably will never ever see the story behind these buildings, but uh, I think most people do actually have a sensitivity to it. Um, the Mackey Funeral Home was a terrible thing. It was a beautiful house, had all this wonderful woodwork. It was functioning. They even kept the lights on up until a few months ago, so it wasn't a case where it was an eyesore. And to lose something like that for a parking lot. Now, the group trying to save this building proposed a compromise plan. You can still have parking and save this house. And if we partner up with the business next door and use their parking, you'll get one extra space. Church didn't want to hear it. 
um, it's just a sad, sad thing. And I'm glad that I got that footage. Um, one of the preservationists, his name is Jim Morocco, a very caring guy, very passionate about that building. When he saw that footage, he was just wincing. He's like, oh, it's like a monster tearing this building apart, devouring it. I don't want people to ever forget that image. We had this beautiful house there that was part of the landscape, and, and this is what happened here. Um, it's just a sad thing. In Somerville, I believe, they also had a funeral home on a lot of land. And guess what happened to that? Torn down for new development. Funeral home director said, well, we can't really save this property. I need to sell it. And the developer didn't have any interest in maybe moving the structure or working around it. It's gone. So we're starting to see in New England, because of the growth, things that you never thought would be torn down are falling by the wayside. In North Beverly, at the corner near the Walgreens, we have a house from 1715, the Nehemiah Wood House. The Sons of Liberty actually met there to talk about what are we going to do about this British problem that we have. <laughs> uh, the developer there wanted it torn down to get five extra parking lots for the Walgreens. And it just seems like an unfair trade. We have this house that's going to be, at the time, it was going to be 300 years old. Now it's over 300 years old. We have a connection to the American Revolution. Nope, we want five parking spaces. Something is definitely out of whack here in this country, where you see a lot of the heritage just falling by the wayside. There was a house where, I guess... Some of the founding fathers met to talk about the Bill of Rights. Um, the town didn't really know the historical connection there, and they let a developer start to tear it down. And there's pictures of it on the news with half of it already gone. It's because we're ignorant of the history that's all around us, and we're starting to see these things just go without any debate. There aren't any really strong rules about... Um, historic preservation that prevent these things from being torn down. People think if it's on the National Register, it's safe. The National Register offers no protection for anything unless it possibly is a project that gets federal or state funding. What about private property rights and this and that? I think these are discussions maybe we should be having because, yeah, property rights do matter. But there have been times in this country where we've said, as a society, we want to save this or this resource is important. Maybe we should put some extra regulations on this to try and encourage preservation. Uh, that's the way most preservation laws are set up now. Not so much banning you from doing what you want with your property, but sort of encouraging you and giving you a benefit to saving something. I think historic tax credits are a good thing when they're used to fix up buildings. And, um, you know, that, that program could be expanded. I'd actually like to see more people involved with the Essex Heritage uh, Group. There are a lot of businesses, a lot of banks, maybe set up some funds for preservation. Uh, preservation Massachusetts has a loan program that's uh, set up to be really attractive for uh, projects that actually involve preservation. Um, these are all things that could be done, but they won't happen unless people start talking about this. And I think when you show some of the things we lose... It gets people talking. Oh, and that's the point. That's, you know, part of what we're doing today is we want to continue this conversation about preservation. We want you to continue talking about these programs or you're, you're doing your program because it is important. This is, you know, these are, this is your community. Um, you live here. Right. You live here and you care about your community. And <clears throat> it doesn't always have to be combative in terms of talking, pro you know, property owners' rights. It's not just a... But there has to be some, comp you're looking at it from the standpoint, there has to be some form of compromise that can be made so that we all get what we want, you know, in terms right. of, you know, and, or even outside of that, at least we've gone through the process and we've had that ability to be transparent. Because I think it's very apparent that, you know, you believe that demolishing or destroying a story building changes the character of a community. Definitely. It definitely does. Um, there are some buildings out there that you walk by and you never think anything of them. And they don't really have a story to tell. But the historic buildings, you can usually find an interesting story behind them. Uh, the Trafton. Mr. Trafton decided uh, he was a, a hotel owner, very well known in the state. He decided to move to Beverly 
and become part of the community to build his hotel draft and after owning other hotels in other cities and towns. Um, I mean, there's a story there. There's that connection. Well, no, that's, that's excellent. And hopefully we've gotten that across today. In conclusion, um, in terms of what we were glad to have, have you come on and talk about this, and hopefully we'll have more of these where you can kind of talk about because there are other issues that you want to talk about because it's not just about what they tear down. It's also what's happening in these communities themselves. Uh, we've had lots of conversations about, the, you know, some of the things that happened in Boston, uh, gentrification, and how that's kind of creeping its way into the community here. Not, not that gentrification is a bad thing, but it's something that it can, it, it's not looked at very well these days. Um, Which is sad, and it, it doesn't have to be that way, but I sense it is that way because the community feels it's under the gun, that some of the good things about the community are being threatened. Yeah. And again, I look at it. Why does it have to be this, this side against this side? Why can't people sit down and talk and maybe come to a situation where everyone's happy, where you have some of the best things of the community preserved and some new things introduced to the community that people will like? And I just don't see that conversation happening in Beverly right now. I hear a lot of people complaining on both sides. Well, hopefully we can get those conversations started. Yes, Anything you'd like to say in closing? Well, I'd just like to say that it's really been an interesting experience coming down here to BevCam, that this is a place where if you have a vision, if you have an idea or a passion that you want to put out there for the community, this is the place to do it. And we have gotten a lot of positive reaction about our program. I went into this thinking, well, who's going to care about the press box? But I've found people that have come out of the woodwork saying, you know, you're making good points that maybe we should save this railroad district. And it gets them talking about other buildings. And that is such a positive. And and I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to have people talk about this because that makes me feel proud to be from Beverly. When when you see other people kind of get it, why these things are important. And that's a good point. And we thank you for the uh, pop that you gave us in terms of that. Um, just to anybody who doesn't know, BevCam is the community access media station. We just don't deal in television. Uh, we're dealing in things like podcasts because we do want to encourage uh, people to participate and volunteer in terms of what we're, what we're, what we're about here. Uh, it just comes down to participation. And um, I'd like to thank Matt Pujo for putting in the time to talk about a little bit of what got him involved and uh, I'd like to thank Chris Harvey, our engineer, another studio associate here at BevCamp for helping us out with the audio. And we'll see you again soon. Have a good day.